Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone while... Well, actually, I'm not driving home from the office today because... Or driving home from the train because it's actually morning, which is not when I normally record these shows, but I also hit so much traffic on my way to the train station that I miss both the trains that I would normally take, so I'm actually driving all the way to the office today. And since I'm just sitting in traffic on the Mass Pike, I figured, you know, why not start recording a show. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a little bit different, and this may end up getting recorded across my commute today, and, you know, we'll see how long I talk, but, uh, anyway, so we got some time together, so why don't we, uh, talk about Hearthstone? So this week, I I didn't, I, like I said last week, I was probably not going to make Legend, um, that was correct. I didn't, I did get close. I, I got closer than I thought I was going to, actually. Um, I, I think what happened was that I just changed decks a little bit too late in the season. And I also, I was, you know, the, the way that the season panned out, having the last weekend so far away from the end of the season really kind of messed me up because I needed a little bit more time. I just didn't get it. Um, I also kind of didn't switch to a different deck a little bit sooner. I was really trying to stick with the Odd Warrior. And the games were just taking too long. I was trying a couple different things. Um, I I ended up switching to Zoo, and that actually was working out uh, towards the end of the season, but I just didn't have enough time, and I was kind of, you know, going 50-50 at, like, rank 3 on the Friday. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to go play something else, because I'm not getting to Legend without really, like, bashing my head into the wall for the rest of the night. And, And it's fine, right? So I just kind of turned it off and played Octopath Traveler for a while, and that was a good, a pretty good reset. I did have some good success the first weekend. Uh, I got up as high as rank two at one point with uh, Token Druid, with uh, Stoneshell Scavenger, and Fluke instead of the Oaken Summons Violet Teacher package. I like that deck a lot. I've ultimately had to switch off of it because there's been so much aggro in the meta, and the, the odd rogues have kind of evolved to have both Hench Clan Thug and, um, and Vicious Fledgling, and it, it's hard as a token druid to be able to answer all that early, and still ramp, and still start developing a game plan, because you just kind of have so many tools that don't do anything until the late game in token druid, that it can be kind of difficult to answer all that, especially when they get you know, one drop into weapon, into, or not even, not even always weapon, sometimes it's coin fledgling, into hench clan, into fledgling, into cold blood, it's, you know, it's a lot for you to be able to answer, and you just don't have as much armor generation in token druid as you do in the other decks, because you don't run ferocious howl, for instance, and you generally want to use your branching path, your branching paths for attack, instead of armor. So I've been kind of floundering a little bit. I've tried some more Zoo. Zoo's okay, but then you run into Odd Warrior and you spend 20 minutes beating your head against the wall. There's a mid-range hunter from Bragi that's like a secret hunter but without Subject 9, which is pretty interesting that I've been trying, and sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've, I've played some more Odd Warrior, but I just, you know, I like control decks. Um, but it just, sometimes it just takes so long and I just, you know, I get kind of antsy 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, I know I can get to legend with that if I spend the whole month jamming Odd Warrior, but I, I just, is that what I want to do with my life? And it's like, I feel like I, I can't play those games while I'm waiting for the train. I, I really have to be like 100% focused for like a long period of time. I have to make sure to go to the bathroom before. Because... <laughs> That could be a misplay, as as Ray C found out. It oh, I have to put that Twitch clip in the in the show notes. Um, there was at the at uh, PAX this weekend. They had the Invitational tournament where they invite the amateurs and then they have a bunch of pros and they put them against each other. And Ray C and Shoop were in an Odd Warrior mirror, and there was a clip from Twitch where he it, it had clearly been going for a while. And he just holds up a sign to the camera that said, I'm never going to the bathroom. <laughs> the, the casters are saying the iced tea, the iced coffee was a misplay. So, um, what I did find that I'm kind of trying now, I, I'm not sure if I like it or not, but I like the cut of its jib, is there's a big warrior that Evangelion put out that... It looks like a recruit warrior at first, but it doesn't actually run the recruit cards. It has early mechs. It has um, Attorney Rover and Zilliax and Dynomatic. It actually runs Acolytes and it runs uh, uh, what should we call it the the uh, the Rush Warrior the Rush Warrior card Militia Commander. And, but it also has all the all the big cards from Recruit Warrior. So you have Yip and Rotface and Yasera, and you run the Boom Ship to be able to rush three of them out. But you don't have all of the dependency on having to recruit those minions out and having a, a small density of threats. And you also run Doctor Boom for some late game too. I really like it. I played a couple of games. Um, I did lose an um, game to Odd Warrior because it runs one copy of Dead Man's Hand and that was just the bottom of the deck and by the time I got to it, like the cards I was shuffling back in were not good. Um, was that Odd Warrior? That might have been something else. There, It was definitely a long matchup, but it, it can hang with Odd Warrior, for sure. Um, it, I think it might be able to outlast it just because you, you can definitely go deeper into fatigue than the Odd Warrior can because you can shuffle like eight or nine cards into your deck in that matchup. Um... You do end up with a lot more dead cards because you, you can't play Acolytes, you can't play Shield Blocks, but um, it, it's I like it a lot. I don't know if it's good for climbing, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. And, you know, try it out. It's a little bit different warrior, but I did pull the boom, the boom ship in a pack, so it gives me a chance to, to use that. So that's, that's not nothing. So what I want to talk about this week is crafting. So I spent some time over Labor Day weekend putting together another one of my data projects. So... For those of you who don't know, um, I have been, since uh, HTT Summer, I've been putting together some of these dashboards in uh, a program called Tableau Public, which is a, it's a data visualization software. I, I'm a data architect by day, so data visualization is one of the things that I do. Not in Tableau. I actually kind of hate Tableau, but they, they have a free product, and the one I use at work, I doesn't, so, you know, it is what it is. Um... But, so that's, that's kind of one of the things that I do. It's basically like Excel on, on steroids, effectively. It takes a lot of data that you bring into it, and then it can do all kinds of charts and graphs, and you can link things together, so you can do some interactive things. So one of the things that I've wanted to do for a while, is, and I think I've even mentioned it on the show, is do a crafting guide. 
So what I did on Saturday, I took all of the decks that I saw from like Beer Brick and Hearthstone Top Decks and whatever and from Twitter that had either gotten High Legend finishes in August or um, or they had gotten Early Legend in September. And, and I took a couple of the older lists too just to make sure I had coverage for all of the archetypes that are out there. Uh, from the Vicious Syndicate report. I put them all into a spreadsheet. I, I pulled them into this program, and then I just started... I ha- I already have a, pro- a process from the HCT work that I've done to take all those codes, spit them out into individual deck lists so I don't have to type them all up by hand, because that, that's really the biggest, you know, barrier to doing any of this is just the data collection. And if I had to type all those up and put all those lists in by hand, it would never get done, which is why I haven't done this up to now. But now that I have this whole Python process, I can take deck codes... Decompress, decompress them, and then um, you know, spit out another spreadsheet with all the deck lists with by card. Uh, this is something I can do. So I did that. Um, I will put the link in the show notes. I have actually taken Multiball, which was my old site, and I moved it over to OffCurve.com. So uh, all the links there are are OffCurve.com links because I realized I was basically using most of that site for uh, Hearthstone related stuff anyway. So uh, you can find that at um, offcurve.com slash ladder dash meta. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, obviously. Um, So what you can do is you can take that, all those lists, and then it shows you a graph that shows the most common cards by unique archetypes. So if I have multiple lists that um, for, say, Token Druid, it's only going to show... Malfurying the Pestilent once for Token Druid, even if I have multiple lists. Because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, show that I've just collected more lists for a certain archetype. I want to be able to show, you know, how often things are, are used. So, in any event, so that, so what that does is it, it collects the mo- the unique, the number of times that that card shows up in an archetype. And, you know, just sorts them. And, and Giggly Inventors at the top of the list with a bullet. It's like head and shoulders above everything else, as one would expect. And then, but you can go down, you can filter it by set, you can filter it by rarity, you can filter it by uh, the class of deck. You can even filter, filter it by archetype just to see all the different cards that are, you know, included in a particular archetype. And then it's got a, down at the bottom of the screen, it has all of the individual lists. So you can actually click on one of those lists and it will take you to a page on deck.codes that will show you the, all the, the, the individual list and kind of the format that you're used to seeing. And will give you a code that you can then copy into your browser and, um, you know, play the deck yourself. So what this does is this lets us talk about what cards are important out of the new set that you should be targeting to craft? Because we're about a month in now, and it's pretty clear this truck next to me, I'm sure you can hear that, is really, really loud. Um, so we're about a month in now, and what is going to happen is that the, you know, the meta is kind of solidifying, and there are cards that are definitely solid craft. So I get questions about this often enough that I felt like I wanted to do an episode on it anyway. This kind of lets it be more of a perennial thing. You can always go to this and look at it. And, um, you know, that that's something that you can reference. I'm trying to keep the list up to date. It's a little bit of a pain right now. I have to update the process to do it. But um, but in any event, so that is, that's what's there. So let's talk about what is... Um, what are good crafts if you have 1600 dust burning a hole in your pocket? 
Okay, so based on, and I'm really just going to talk about what's there from Boomsday right now. Uh, there's probably some other things that we can talk about as far as the other cards that are from the other sets, but those, I think you probably know if those cards are good or not, and, and if you do have a question about it, you can certainly, you know, message me on Twitter or Discord or, you know, send a DM into the Off Curve Twitter account. We can always talk about that on the show, but I want to talk about specifically from the new set, because that's generally what most people are, are concerned with. What should you be targeting the craft? So, as far as I can see from the data, there were really three legendary cards that I would consider your really, really safe crafts. Um, so, one of those, the one that I would say is probably the safest, because it's going to be used across the most um, potential decks, even if, it, even if the number isn't laying that out right now, would be Zilliax. So, Zilliax, again, 3-mana, 2-2, with every keyword imaginable, um, and magnetic, and it's a mech, and so it goes in any sort of a mech deck, it run, you know, you run it in Odd Warrior, you run it in, uh, you, you'll run it in the recruit, some of the recruit warriors will run it, um, you know, there's a lot of different applications for it, but it being a neutral legendary, it's just kind of a good minion that you can slot into a lot of different decks, and having a, a removal and a defensive tool all-in-one is actually really powerful. So being able to trade off for three or more if you use the magnetic, heal for three, and then leave a three-two top behind that your opponent needs to at least deal with in some way. It may be a harder move than not heal you for another three. But I mean, it's a three-two heal you for probably at least six and if a minion trades into it it's going to heal you even more or you know if they have to use a damage spell to remove it um that's going to heal you for even more and it negates it an attack or two you know if you if you just hit face with it and you leave the divine shield up that's even more annoying right so uh Zilliax is a really really good card I, I would say if you're if you don't have it there's probably you're always going to want to wait for a deck that runs the card before you craft it, but I would say if you're even thinking about it, I, I don't, I wouldn't think about it too hard. Um, Flavidinous Floop is obviously another one if you're playing Druid at all, which in this meta you probably are at some point. Um, Floop goes in nearly every, um, every Druid archetype at this point. It obviously goes in Maligos Druid and Togwaggle Druid and the Maligos Togwaggle hybrid druid because getting extra mali geese is good getting extra tog waggles and azelinas is good and it, it makes your combo that much more consistent uh that that's kind of the obvious we knew that going into the expansion what i don't think we realized and i certainly didn't is that there is value in floop just being another copy of a powerful battle cry and, and obviously maligos was the one that came to mind but I've been running it in the Token Druid, and it's really good in the Token Druid. And the Token Druid doesn't really run that many minions. You have Arcane Tyrant, you have uh, Giggling Inventor, you have Saranite Chain Gang, and you have uh, Stone Shell Scavenger. And any of those four is pretty much good to hit. Like, a 3-4 Arcane Tyrant that you're playing for free is fine a lot of the time. Uh, giggling Inventor, obviously getting an extra Giggling Inventor or being able to play two Giggling Inventors in a turn is really good. Um, being able to Strong Shell Scavenger twice is really good. Um, and just getting two, three, four Chain Gangs is really good. 
So Floop is has applications, and even in like it's even seeing play. I mean, it's, this is a this is a niche deck, but it's even seeing play in a, in Spiteful Druid, and because you can just Floop a Spiteful Summoner, or a mind control tech, or get another Crypt Lord. Like a three four Crypt Lord is pretty good. There's a lot of really good applications for that card in that deck too. So just you know any sort. I mean, Druids minions tend to either be powerful on the board or have powerful battle cries or effects and so you know Floop's just really good about being able to give you an extra copy of those at will I mean there is a little bit of downside because you have to draw it and add the other when you play the other minion but you know it it's going to happen enough that it's worth it a lot of the time and then Dr. Boom Mad Genius is the other one who has seen play in pretty much every warrior deck warrior is becoming one of the better classes in the meta right now Dr. Boo is one big reason why, and, and it's two things. One is that you generally are going to run enough mechs to get value out of the battle cry. So uh, you're going to run Giggly Inventor a lot of the time. You're going to run um, you're going to run Dynomatic a lot of the time because Dynomatic is one of the better cards that um, that Warrior got in the set because it does five damage, and then it also with Dr. Boom out will also trade off another minion, which is really, really good value for one for one minion. But the other thing that it does is that it helps you in the in the the matchups where armor is just not going to help you. And and this is something that Andrew and I talked about on the Happy Hearthstone, which is that in some matchups, like you just don't want armor. You don't need it anymore. Like there's a certain point, even with Odd Warrior, there's a certain point where enough is enough, and no amount of armor is going to win you the game. Either it's because you're playing against an OTK deck or you're playing against the mirror where you're both armoring and you're, you're going to go to fatigue anyway and it doesn't really matter how much armor you have. So there, there are enough situations where you need to trade in that hero power for literally anything else and Dr. Boo gives you literally anything else. But the other thing that is not immediately apparent when you start playing with Dr. Boom is that Dr. Boom also gives you more mechs. It gives you mechs in the form of the hero power that you get once every so often to discover a mech. And typically, you're also playing Omega Assembly in that deck, at least in the Odd Warrior. And it just gives all of your mechs more value, even if they're random garbage mechs. Like, you know, like Spring Rocket is a viable card a lot of the time. Like, getting another Brilliant Nullifier out of nowhere is really good. Um, and then, you know, getting seven... You're still doing okay on armor because you're getting seven armor like 20 to 25 percent of the time because you never get the same hero power twice but there's five of them so every time that you didn't get armor you're gonna get it offered one in four times so it's somewhere between it's somewhere around 20 percent that you're gonna get offered armor and so if you're armoring up for seven once every five turns yeah you're getting you're you're basically back to the base hero power you're getting like one armor less than you would be if you were just armoring up every turn with the regular hero power, but you're also getting the benefit of all the other hero power effects over the course of that turn, which is, it makes up for losing the one armor over the base hero power or the, even, even losing 10 armor over the, the upgraded Baku hero power. But especially in decks that isn't, that aren't running Baku, it's a lot less of a decision because like that armor evens out over the course of the game, but the incremental value that you get makes up for it because you're removing minions with the with all of the three damage effects 
either the the microbots or the D1 to the board or um, the the D, uh, two two mana deal three damage to a target. Those are all kind of removing sources of damage from the board. And you're also getting value out of the mechs that you're generating. So it's a little bit more random, but all the effects are good. Um, so I think that if you're going to play Warrior, and you should probably look into playing Warrior if you have the cards for it, then uh, Dr. Boom is, is an easy craft, and he's also just fun. I love that fuse thing. So once you get past that tier of, of Legendary, there are some more niche Legendaries that you could consider crafting if there's a particular deck you want to play. Um, some of these are kind of going in and out, but they're all valid if you're going to play these decks. So you really should be crafting the deck, not the the card. But they, these have decks that are relevant. So Mechathune, we thought was going to be a meme. Turns out it's not. Um, there are various uh, viable Mechathune decks. And Mechathune Warriors come around from Fibonacci that um, is basically a control deck that has a Mechathune finisher. There are multiple people in the Asia Pack playoffs that are playing... Mechathune decks, some of them are playing multiple Mechathune decks in their in their lineups. So, you know, if that kind of kind of late game, you know, inevitable finish style of deck appeals to you, Mechathune is uh it's it it wouldn't be the first card I would craft, but it's not as much of a meme as we thought it would be, and it's um it, it's a viable card to craft. So, Another one that's kind of a... I don't know if it's really a fringe legendary, but it's kind of just he's playing one deck is a Solarium. And if you're going to play Zoo, you should craft the Solarium. It's It gives that, that deck a lot more staying power in the mid to late game. It's not a card that you play on turn one, obviously, um, or, or even early. But it's very good as kind of a reload for that style of deck. Um, it's... You know, drawing three cards and then being able to play them, especially because most of your cards are cheap, uh, it it gives that deck a way to be able to uh, to get back on board when it's starting to fall behind, or even just provide some more fodder for something like a Doom Guard or a or a Soulfire in case you have stuff that you don't want to throw out in your hand. You can add three more cards to your hand to just put some more junk in your hand to decrease the odds, which is not the ideal way to play that de- that deck, but or that card rather. But it's it's something you can do. So I would, if you're playing Zoo, the Solarium's good. Zoo is a fairly good deck right now. I would imagine it's even better at lower ranks. Uh, if I have a legend, there's a lot of warrior and a lot of druid that it runs into. But um, that would be something you could look at. Myers Unstable Element is kind of the same thing. I think it's starting to fall out of the odd rogue lists. So you might want to hold off on that a little bit. Um, but it's kind of the same thing. It's like you don't really care if you fatigue after drawing your whole deck. If you're so far behind and you just need one or two more turns worth of stuff to do, then Myra's can kind of help you with that and kind of just get you the last couple couple of turns worth of stuff to do. That if you were going to um, if you were going to lose anyway, then it gives you a chance to kind of turn that loss into a win. Uh, there's you know, Stargazer Luna is a card that's seeing play in Tempo Mage. Tempo Mage is seeing a little bit more play now because Quest Rogue is a thing, and Tempo Mage beats beats up on Quest Rogue and not much else. But if you're going to play Tempo Mage or Aggro Mage, whichever you want to call it, um, then you can go ahead and you would you would want to go ahead and craft Stargazer Luna. It gives you another um, condition aside from 
something like a um, something like an Allen F. Just another way to get a little bit more gas and be able to push some more damage before your opponent can really stabilize. Uh, it's you know it's it it's been tried in control decks. It's not appropriate in control decks. Like people thought that Luna with the Pocket Galaxy was going to be a combo. It's not. Don't try it. I've tried it. It's bad. But um, but in Tempo Mage it works really really well. Uh, Electro Storm Surge again in Shutterwalk Shaman is being used because it gives you access to double volcano or double lightning storm or double farsight even. Um, Shutterwalk Shaman is not great right now, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend crafting that. But it is uh, if Shutterwalk Shaman gets better, Electro Storm Surge is a card that you could consider crafting for that. Or if you just really really enjoy um, Shutterwalk Shaman, and when I'm talking about Shutterwalk Shaman, I'm talking about like the classic combo finish style Shutterwalk Shaman. Not the um, not the tempo one that Ike started building. It's more of like a mid-range shaman. It's really not great in there because you don't have as many cards that take advantage of it unless you're running Bloodlust. But in the um, in the regular original recipe Shutterwatch Shaman, it's pretty good. Um, Subject Nine has been seeing some play in some Secret Hunter. I've been again. I've, I've talked about the the braggy Secret Hunter that drops it and just runs more mid-range cards like Bear Shark. But there is um, merit in the board control style uh, secret hunter list that runs Subject 9, runs a bunch of unique secrets, and then runs Subject 9 to pull them all out. And turns out that getting a whole bunch of secrets into your hand that you can use to confuse your opponent, along with, with um, being able to power up spell stones and being able to draw you five cards closer to Rexar, is a pretty, a pretty good synergy. So um, Subject 9 is good if you have that or if you want to craft that for that secret hunter, that's a viable option for you as well. And then uh, the boom ship I've already re you know referenced a couple of times. It's more of a recruit style card than it is an odd warrior card. Odd warrior really just wants to um, it wants to fatigue out the opponent. It really doesn't want to play all that stuff from hand all at once. Um, more a recruit hunter or a big hunter, a big hunter, big warrior would end up collecting some of those cards that are difficult to play all in one turn and being able to rush them all out. First of all, it feels awesome. Let's just say that right now. It really feels awesome. But it also allows you to get a big swing turn in matchups where you need one and, you know, empty your hand to be able to make room for other stuff and, and be able to put, like, a lot of power on the board that's probably going to be very difficult for your opponent to answer that late in the game. Um, again, this this big warrior from Evangelion, I'm still testing it. I'm not sure. And the Mechathune warrior is really the only, the only other place that it gets seen because like recruit hunter recruit warrior is not really a great strategy right now just you can't spend five or six turns doing nothing against some of these decks but um but if it is the boom ship is something that you can look into crafting as well there are a couple of other legendaries that are on the list if you filter to just rarity legendary and set boom stay that you're going to see and i i I even hesitate to call some of these fringe legendaries, but they have seen play in some of the older lists or even some of the current lists. They're there, but they're not. I, I, I kind of want to talk about why I'm not recommending that you craft them because, I mean, if you have enough dust, obviously anything is craftable, but some of these are just, you have better options. So, um, Flip's Glorious Goop is kind of, uh, or Gloop, whatever, I don't even care about pronouncing the card name right anymore, is is kind of the the best example of that, because that was in, like, Token Druid early, and then it's fallen out of the list. And 
a lot of the reason is that you just really don't need that mana in a token druid a lot of the time. Like, if you are able to make a board that can trigger gloop, then you probably don't need to play it. You're probably already winning. So, I want to say I saw it in another list that was weird. Maybe it was a spiteful druid or like an aggro, like an aggro token druid or something like that. That was very, very off meta. Uh, but I would not craft Gloop right now. I, I think that it's a really, it's a win more card, basically. You don't need it. None of the, none of the decks that, I, I thought that it would only see play in Token Druid and it's not even making the cut there. So I would not, um, I, I would not go ahead and craft that card. Same goes for Luna's Pocket Galaxy. So that has seen some play in some of the early Control Mage builds. Uh, it even saw play in, in some sort of tempo mages, but that's completely incorrect. And it, there are some like Exodia mage builds that will run Luna's Pocket Galaxy along with the Leyline package. There were actually a couple of players who brought that to the PAX, um, the Patch West tournament this past weekend. One of them actually just went all in on Luna's Pocket Galaxy, had no backup plan, and that's a very bad idea. So, I tried to get Luna's Pocket Galaxy to work because I got it in Golden. I spent a lot of time trying to get this card to work. It doesn't. And it's to the point where I would very strongly consider disenchanting it if I knew the dust because I have it in Golden. And the problem is that if you're trying to build, like, generally the legendary cards, the legendary spells in particular, tend to be build around cards. Like, maybe they're not the focal point of your deck, but there's something that are you're going to want to rely on having it, or it's going to be something that's going to just make things better when you play it most of the time, right? So, if you think about how Myra's Unstable Element works, most of the time you're playing Myra's Unstable Element in something like an Odd Rogue, where it's like your refill mechanic, and it's your, again, you're going to die anyway, so you get two turns to... to play a bunch of threats. Same thing with the Solarium and Zoo. Like, your cards are going to be cheap anyway, so whenever you play that, it's going to be good. The problem with Luna's Pocket Galaxy is that if you're playing it in any sort of a control-style deck, typically that's a deck where, right now, where most of the minions are cheaper than most of the spells because Big Spell Mage is a thing. I mean, you do have some heavier minions in those decks too, like Syndragosa and Alexstrasza, but for the most part your spells are going to be more expensive than the minions, and this doesn't help you all that much. And even if it does, right, even if you get it in the right list, like let's say you're playing, I saw a Spiteful list early on that was playing it. Um, there there have been a couple of other attempts at like some more minion-based builds. The problem with Luna's Pocket Galaxy is that you have to play it on a turn that's early enough that's going to matter for discounting your minions, but also not die by spending a turn paying seven mana to do nothing. And that's really, really difficult to do. And even if you do that, if you're building any sort of like an Exodia plan around it, you have a, it's almost 50%. I don't think the odds are 50%, but I think it's close. That close to half the time, you're going to draw whatever you're hoping to discount before you can actually draw and play Luna's Pocket Galaxy. Because half the time, you're just going to draw you're just going to draw it first before you draw Pocket Galaxy. Like, if you're talking about a Legendary, or even a not, you know... Well, I mean, if you have two copies, it's a little bit easier. But if you have a Legendary like Antonidas, right, you're going to have one copy of Luna's Pocket Galaxy, one copy of Antonidas in the deck. 
there's just a chance that sometimes Antonitis comes first. But even if it doesn't come first, even if you draw Luna, even if you get Luna's Pocket Galaxy in the Mulligan and hold it, you still have to draw ten cards out of your deck. Uh, you know, be, between the cards in your opening hand and the cards you draw in the turns up to when you can play it, before you can actually get it out and discount the stuff that's left in your deck. And otherwise, you're running Baleful Bankers. It's a, it's, it's not good. So I would not craft Luna's Pocket Galaxy. I don't think you need it for any deck that's out there right now. Um, the two Paladin Legendaries are a little bit more interesting, and they've both been playing, seeing play in Control Paladin, which has not really been uh, a deck that's been in the meta very much. I played a little bit of Control Paladin early with Prismatic Lenses, and it felt promising to me, but it just kind of got outclassed. And, uh, you know, the Control decks just got way better than it, and you did have the, the Uther of the Ebon Blade win condition to get through, like, a big armor condition, but you didn't have any way to deal with, like, a Togwaggle Druid, or, or just, like, you know, even a Burn Mage sometimes would just get you, but Crystal Smith Kangor is something that you could probably play that deck without, but it's better to have it, just like the, the double angle healing with the lifesteal on the minion is actually pretty good, and you can pull it out with Christology or, or Call to Arms, um, I pulled one in my opening, in my opening packs, it's, it's fine. I, I think that sometimes it helps just, like, to gain 10 from a swing with Uther of the Ebon Blade, as, as I talked about on uh, the Happy Hearthstone. Um, but the problem is just that Control Paladin is not very good right now. And and Kangor's Endless Army is actually finding seeing play in that same deck, too, because the later iteration of that has been kind of going away from the OTK a little bit, just towards making big mechs and then resurrecting the Kangor's Endless Army. The problem is... Again, Control Paladin is not good, and if you can get that to work, it's great, but, you know, sometimes you're just going to get a bunch of naked minions that you haven't been able to magnetize. So, it's it's a fun card if you have the 1600 dust, you can play that deck and, and maybe you do okay with it, but I would say that you have other priorities as far as Legendaries in the set, and anything that I haven't mentioned up to now really is just not seeing any significant play. And I would stay away from those, from crafting those for now, unless you just really want to have some fun. Because, you know, having fun is, is part of it, too. If there's just a deck you want to build and you need one of those cards. Like, I made a very bad decision and crafted um, Zarek's Conan Gallery over the weekend because I've been trying something in casual that I want to try to make work. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend that, right? Like, it's not in any meta decks. You don't need it. Stick to those that are actually seeing play. As far as the epics go, there's actually not very many. I was surprised at how few there are that are seeing play out of the set, because Witchwood was a very epic-heavy set, uh, and even, like, Kobolds and Catacombs was, was too, if you think about, um, you, you think about things like Corridor Creeper and Spiteful Summoner and, and, you know, some of those cards that were very critical, even some of the control tools like Reckless Flurry was a, was a rare, was a, was an epic, and... Um, I'm, tr I'm having trouble thinking of a couple others off the top of my head, but the last couple of sets have been very epic-heavy, and this is less epic-heavy and more legendary-heavy. Um, the, the two that are really seeing the most play right now are uh, Dream Paddle Florist in uh, Togwaggle and Maligos Druid, and then Super Collider and Odd Warrior. So Dream Paddle Florist, again, this is a card I did not expect to be good, but I guess one of is fine. And, and generally, you're only playing one of those in the deck, is being used particularly in the Togwaggle Druid, to hit either Togwaggle or Azelina, and then let you be able to play both of them in one turn. So, if you're planning on playing that deck, or even sometimes in some of the Maligos builds, usually the ones that are playing both Maligos and the Maligos and the Togwaggle-Azelina combo 
generally that will see play in there as well, just to be able to discount one of those and also a two mount of Malikos is pretty good, turns out. <laughs> so you can uh, you can look into that uh, for the for that deck and, and Super Collider. It, I was dead wrong about Super Collider. I, I will have to talk about this on the rearview episode too because I was completely wrong on, on Super Collider and I think a lot of it is just that I didn't anticipate Odd Warrior coming back because Odd Warrior seems to be the place where that card really shines because you typically have enough armor to be able to make use of it effectively. Like I'm playing that that big warrior and it's not running Baku and it's also not running the Super Collider just because you have less armor gain over the course of the game. But it turns out when you're generating a ton of armor every turn, you can afford to smack your, your face into one minion with the hopes of it killing more than one. And you know, with the number of board-based aggressive decks, if you think about Zoo, if you think about Odd Rogue, even if you think just about the number of giggling inventors that are that are in the meta right now, and one swing with one of it into one of the Anoiltrons takes out that Anoiltron and it takes out the 2-1 that are next to it, there's a lot of potential uses for Super Collider against a lot of different decks. And um, I was not convinced. I started with one and then I eventually crafted the second one because it, it just overperformed whenever I was playing it. So I would recommend if you're playing Warrior, you want to get yourself two copies of Super Collider. Um, there are a couple other epics that are seeing some play that I wouldn't necessarily work, you know, recommend that you go out and craft right now, but they, if you're playing a particular deck that needs them, they're probably fine to craft. Um, Astromancer is a card that sees play in Control Mage specifically, because you generally tend to be holding onto a lot of cards being a Control deck, and it helps against, it, it was actually a tech against Druid originally, and I think it's kind of stayed in the deck to some extent where it just gives you something proactive to do, which is something that Big Spell Mage sometimes struggles with, is just being able to do something proactively. Even once they have Jaina down, if your opponent just doesn't do anything, then sometimes you struggle to put pressure on the board, going back the other way to take advantage of it. Um, so Astromancer does that, and generally it'll get you like a 7-8-9 drop a lot of the time, because you just hold so many cards in your hand. I found that it was it was performing pretty well for me when I was playing Big Spell Mage. Um, I don't think I would play a big spell mage without it at this point, honestly. Um, Augmented Alec is right now seeing play in the Miracle Rogue list. The Miracle Rogue is not really a super popular deck right now, but if you play it, you're going to play Stampy. And Stampy is used along with, because it curves out into, um, into Faldorai Strider, primarily. So you play, you play an Alec, you play a Faldorai Strider, now you have six spiders in your deck. Maybe you then are able to play it again. You get another six spiders. That's that's okay, right? I, I don't know that you can't play the deck without it. I think I've heard, you know, the folks on Koi Kinsey talking about, well, maybe you just want to play Questing Adventure instead. I think that's probably better, honestly. I mean, it's a 2-2 versus a 3-4, but I think the Questing Adventure probably has more value more often than the Alec does in that list. So I would, I would probably go towards that route if you don't have Alec. I don't think you necessarily need to craft it, and it's really only that deck that it's seeing any play in. Um, Necrium Vile, similarly, is only seeing play in Death Rattle Rogue, which I'm also not as convinced it's a real deck. Usually I see that around rank 5, rank 4, and it stops being a thing once I cross into rank 3. Uh, it, it is very powerful to be able to generate two of the 1-1 one, one uh, Rush Poisonous things, to be able to make two 5-5s five off a Devil's Sword, to be able, be able to make two 7-7s seven, off of a Mechanical Whelp. It's just that that deck takes so long to get to get set up that the aggro decks that are already in the meta will just kind of burn it out and it doesn't really have a chance to do all those kinds of shenanigans unless it's playing against a control deck 
And in that case, you probably, yeah, you probably do want Necrium Vial. But it's it's the kind of thing you can probably live without, too. It's That deck is not going to win or lose that many more or less games because of it. Um, Reckless Experimenter is the last one, and that's specifically for Mechathun Priests, which is kind of falling out. It's not the Mechathun deck of choice now. It's it's mostly Mechathun Warrior with a sprinkling of Mechathun Druid and occasionally a Mechathun Warlock. Uh, Mechathun Priest was kind of all in on that, um, on that strategy, and there are still even Warlocks playing Zemonic Project, then you just lose, because the five-card combo, the, your opponent knows exactly when you're going to have that five-card combo in hand, because it's there's a turn before you can play it, and if they just hold on to their Demonic Projects and still then, until then, then they just win. But it is used in conjunction with, um, you play Reckless Experimenter, followed by uh, two Ticking Abominations, and one Coffin Crasher, and then they all die when they're played. The, top, the Ticking Abominations go off first. Those do 10 damage to the board. That kills the Coffin Crasher. The, um, the Coffin Crasher... Or actually, it's you, you summon the Coffin Crasher first, I think. Uh, yeah, you summon the Coffin Crasher first because you need the Mechathun to come out first. And then the two Ticking Abominations go off. The, the Mechathun is brought out to the board by the Coffin Crasher dying first, and then you do 10 damage to it, and you win. Um, that's great. That's not really a viable strategy right now. It's just been hated out and people know exactly what's coming and then they can just counter it. They can either go face or they can hold a demonic project. It's, it's pretty easily countered. So I think that there's promise with Reckless Experimenter outside of that deck. I've been trying, again, I, I said I've been playing around, been trying different iterations of a, um, of a quest priest that's running spiteful summoner and reckless experimenter and, and reckless experimenter just with car with carnivorous cube is pretty disgusting all things considered um that deck in general is not great just because it's really hard to do a deck like spiteful priest right now with all the aggro on the meta but it's something to keep an eye on i think that deck that card is promise i think we're not done with priest yet this expansion i think somebody's gonna figure something out but for right now i wouldn't recommend crafting reckless experimenter unless you really know what you want to do with it and you want to have fun with it and you're not expecting to be competitive. All right, so I opened up to questions on Twitter since I'm now in the afternoon through the magic of podcasting. Uh, so I opened up to questions on Twitter. I got a couple. Um, one from Esperoth. Is Quest Hunter good yet? No, it is not. <laughs> and um, T. Tukton had asked, um, how often am I looking... How often am I looking to update it? And I, I haven't quite figured out how often I'm going to update the, letter, the ladder meta thing yet. I want to get a better workflow for incremental updates because right now what I'm doing is I'm it's not really a lot of work to keep the to, to keep track of the the lists because that's something that I kind of do anyway just naturally so it's just a matter of getting them into a spreadsheet so I have them which is actually kind of convenient all things considered because then when I when somebody asks me for a deck I can just say oh wait hang on I can go find that for you and then I go into my magic spreadsheet and there's the code um so it's actually keeping it up to date isn't a huge chore because it's just a matter of just typing in the player's name, copying in the code, and then just putting in a couple of metadata fields, and I'm good. Uh, the, the problem is that when I run it, I have to redo everything, and there's this fun quirk with Excel, at least on the Mac, where some of the player's names, especially from Beer Brick, are in uh, Chinese or, or Japanese or Korean characters, and uh, Excel is not really great at 
detecting those when it just imports a CSV naturally. It's just an, ex an extra step I need to do. So what I want to do is I want to be able to kind of have like an incremental load where I'm just in, I'm just updating the ones that are new to the list. And then also I want to have a way to be able to make sure that I'm not duplicating the same list over and over again. So I, I don't, I haven't figured that out yet because I just did the most of the coding on this on Monday, on Sunday and Monday for the most part. So I have to go back and look at it a little bit more and figure out like how I can improve my workflow. That's really what's been a lot of the, the work is in, in a project like this is a lot of it is you build something, it works, and then you find out all the ways that it falls down when you try to do it again, and then you try to make those things better. It's a lot of, you know, you do, it's kind of like the 80-20 rule in development, you know, the 80% takes the 20% of the time, and then the last 20% takes 80% of the time. And it really is true, especially with something like this. So I, I'm hoping to update it at least as often as Vicious Syndicate is updating their, um, their reaper, their data reaper report. So at least once a week. I don't think I really necessarily want to do this every day, just because it's it's a pain to maintain it right now. If I can find a better workflow, I might maintain it more often. I mean, ideally, what I'd love to be able to do, which I could, I just have to figure out how to do it, is have some sort of a macro set up that would, you know, take that data flow it into my work into my worksheet and then automatically trigger something that would run my Python script and update the dashboard and reload it. But I that needs time for me to figure out and time is not um is not on my side right now. <laughs> so we'll see. But I, I do I do have plans to try to keep it updated. I will keep you posted um when I have more news on that is basically the best I can give you right now. Alright so that's it for this week. Um, I've still got a bit of a drive, but that's pretty much all I have to talk about. And I kind of want to focus on the road a little bit because I'm just in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. I probably should be focusing on the cars in front of me because that is the joy of the Mass Pike on at 4.48 in the afternoon. Anyway, so where you can go to keep up with all of the things that are happening on the website and on the podcast is you can go to offcurve.com. Uh, that is now the official home for everything that was just pointing to the podcast blog port of the site. Now it is actually um, the main site, even rent and rename the header, all those things just committed to the brand. So um, offcurve.com is your, your place for all things Stephen Hearthstone. Uh, that is where you will find the podcast, individual episodes, along with the RSS feed. That is where you will find uh, a section called Hearthstone Data that has links to the, the ladder meta visualization it also has the HTT deck list that I put together and it has the uh, arena bucket visualization that I did right after the set what right before the set released I don't believe we've gotten any new uh, any new bucketing information from the team from team five but if we did somebody poke me and let me know and I'll go update that um, but that's that's what's there right now I'm, I'm still working on some of the usability things it's weird when it gets embedded in a site but I'm trying to make that a little bit more user friendly so I'm working on it and, um, you know, other than that, and you'll find all the links in the, in the episode post for this episode as well for some of the decks that I mentioned. And, and you'll find a link to the, to the, the deckless browser and stuff like that as well. Um, you can also follow the, the site's account or the podcast account at Off Curve. That's also where you can at and, um, and DM questions like T. Tukton and, and Esperoth did. So you can also get your questions answered on the air. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at WickedGood. I've joined Mastodon. If it's just search for Wicked Good, you'll find me. I don't know why the, the the usernames are way long, but I'm there too. So if you're on Mastodon, I'm there. Just search for me, you'll find me. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitch. I had to skip this past week because of 
some scheduling constraints and I may have to skip some this week because of the Jewish holidays. I still have to figure out that schedule. But typically I am streaming uh, Sunday nights nine around 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I'm also casting UHL in the Into the Wild League so you can catch me there. And I also have another project that I can't announce yet um, that I will be doing some casting hopefully um, in September that I'm really excited about. And I, I will be sure to tell you more when I get there. Um, so, you know, do leave a review on iTunes. I know I saw I got a rating. I've got another review that I can read, but I do appreciate that person leaving the, the five-star rating. And, um, you can go do that too in, in, you know, the, either iTunes or the Apple podcast app. If you're on an iPhone, just go leave a, a review. It helps out with finding visibility. I know that that weights the stuff in the, in the store as far as when people are searching for it. And, you know, it's hearing nice things about yourself is one of the reasons that anybody does a show like this, right? So, you know, just the, the encouragement does help sometimes, especially when you're, you know, struggling to find a topic or you're not feeling the game that week. Uh, you know, getting that extra encouragement and that extra, extra, you know, just knowing that people are listening always helps out a lot. So, and, and, you know, I appreciate, I know I say this every week, but I really do mean it. I know you have lots of choices for where you can spend your podcast listening time. And, and I do appreciate you spending it with me as I am driving home from work and, and today driving home with uh, 5 million of my fa- of my closest friends on the Mass Pike. But, you know, eventually I will get home and I will post this. So thank, thank you for listening as always. I really do appreciate it. Good luck to you uh, with whatever your goals are this month. You know, it's a new month, it's a new way to start over. And, you know, good luck getting to wherever you get to this month. If that's, if that's legend, if that's rank 15, if that's just rank 20, which is actually, which is an achievement now where it it didn't necessarily used to be, you know, good luck to you in whatever you're doing and um, be good to each other. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.